<laughs> this morning we are uh, continuing the text from last week in the scriptures and uh, in Matthew 26. And uh, last week's sermon was, uh, anybody remember? Wake up. <laughs> Wake up! Did you see? That was pretty good. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, Jose's picture of these kids jumping on their parents. You know, wake up. So, uh, so anyhow, that was the, the text last week in which we were uh, speaking about the disciples and how that, uh, and Jesus in the garden. Um, the, the movie that was uh, made by Mel Gibson and, uh, you know, the, the passion, passion of the Christ, um, I was looking at that uh, again, not the movie, but the, the captions, and there was this critic who was critiquing the film. And I was reading how that uh, they were looking at the film, and it was, for me, it was, a, it was a disappointment that this individual was so negative about, about Christ and about the, the movie and things. And, and in some ways, I guess there were points to what he had to say in that there was just the events. There was no explanation. There was no story leading up to the events of Jesus in the garden and things. So it was almost put in place as if people knew what was going on. And for us who knew, for those who are familiar with the story and with Christ in the garden and the crucifixion, it is a very familiar one. But uh, to those perhaps that have never heard I don't know if they would even be interested in going. So, but beside that, I was thinking of today's message, and the message today is God has a plan. God has a plan. Now, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know I didn't give this to you, Jose, but it's, it's okay. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster or evil. Uh, to give you a future and a hope. Now, if we think of that, you know, God has a plan for us and God has a future for us, and there are things that God is, where God is leading us, we would think if God has all this in place, we shouldn't have any bumps in the road. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I signed up for that course. <laughs> but guess what? We have bumps. Uh, there are speed bumps and there are potholes, you know. So there are these things going on around us and they are part of our life. And if we think of Jesus in the garden and we think of him being uh, betrayed by Judas is where we're, uh, our scripture text is, is uh, taking us today, <clears throat> we remember that God has a plan. Now, um, sometimes if you've, have you ever, you don't have to raise your hand on this, but have you ever been betrayed? You know, have you ever put your confidence in someone or something and they extremely disappointed you? Uh, I remember as a child, uh, child, I probably was 10 years old or something, um, one of the neighbors had promised me that he would come and pick me up and I would go mow grass, you know, mow the, with the tractor uh, on his farm. Now, some of you may not think that's fun, but he had this unique tractor. It was a, it was a Ford tractor, and it was very low to the ground, and it, it just sat different. Like all of ours were high, high and whatever, John Deere and, and the, the, you know, the bigger ones and the higher wheels. This was more of a, 
Um, I don't know what kind of vehicle or tractor they would call it, but it sat pretty low and it was just unique, just the way the steering wheel was and the pedals. And, and I was really looking forward to it. And he told me he was going to pick me up Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, you know. So I go out there and I'm ready to go because this is the day I'm going to go mow at the neighbor's farm and mow fields for him and so on. And, and 11 o'clock came and 12 o'clock came and he never showed up. He never called. And a week or two later, I ran into him, and he says, well, uh, I, I couldn't imagine me being, uh, he, he had worked night shift, and he, he said, I couldn't imagine me sleeping and you out there riding a tractor, so I, I just thought I'd better not do that. Well, you could have called, you know. It was very disappointing. I felt to betrayed. Well, there are other occasions, but I'm sure each of us have um, our own situations in which Somebody has left us down or betrayed our confidence or betrayed something we had entrusted to them. Well, the understanding is that God has a plan. Hmm. Now, God doesn't cause the betrayal, but God will work through the betrayal. You know, there are things that we think will happen, things that we plan to happen, things that we, in, you know, go at intentionally believing will happen, and something causes them not to happen. So that's where we find ourselves as being betrayed. So today's text is Jesus is being betrayed. But you know what? God has a plan. That one of his chosen, one of his chosen disciples is the one who is going to betray him. He sells him out. You know, the old conspiracy, he sold him out. God has a plan. As with Jesus... We look back and we will look at our lives and see that God has a plan. Now, our future is in front of us and our future, where we are going is, you know, God holds the future, so God has a plan. So we are to be faithful to God. We are to recognize that the word of God is applicable. We are applying it to our lives so that what we think and say and do and plan we want to do around the word and the promises. The promises of God. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I have a plan for you. I know the plans that I have for you. And that you're, they are plans for good. Okay? So when bad things happen to good people, <laughs> when bad things happen, that's not the end. You see, if it ends in a bad situation, it's not the end. When things go wrong, it's not the end. That there is more to it than what has just happened. So we can't stop when the bad things happen because God has a plan for the good. Hmm. And we find that it's not for disaster, but to give you a future and a hope. So God has put things in place where there is future, there's a future. Now what happens when bad things happen? We think that it's all over. Nothing can ever good come of this again. Not true. So, Matthew 26. If you remember last week's lesson, uh, last week's message, the disciples could not stay awake with, Je for, with Jesus, and they kept falling asleep, and the title of the message was, Wake Up. Well, Jesus tells them to wake up. Everybody's here and even as Jesus said this, 
This is where we begin. They are awake. As Jesus said this, Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. Do you ever just stop and read the scripture and just kind of think about what the scene is? And, you know, we have the movie's depiction and we have, you know, the the Hollywood's depiction and stuff like that. Oh, and this this critic said uh, that the, 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 um, the... Whipping the, um, what's it called, the, of Jesus was a little overdone. <laughs> it's like he doesn't know the scripture. You know, he doesn't know the scripture. As much as, as that is uh, the goriness of that event and uh, is, is there in, in the flogging of Jesus, uh, it's probably isn't as, it probably was worse when it, when it happened to Christ. But anyhow, we have Jesus, uh, Judas coming here. It's one of the twelve. They didn't. They did not. You know, I thought of it when I was reading this. I thought they didn't even miss Judas. <laughs> you know, he he was dismissed by Jesus at the, what we know as the Last Supper. But he was dismissed and he went, and nobody had even know that known that he was gone. So Judas was off somewhere, and probably that was common for him. Because he had the money bag and he would go, you know, do what he wanted to do and come back. And, you know, he probably had spent too much somewhere and, and uh, had to make up for it. So they had been sent, these, these um, uh, crowd, this crowd of men had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. So here's this crowd of people. Now, a crowd can probably be, you know, 50 to 100, I don't know. It was, it was a large number of people that came with clubs and swords to, uh, to arrest Jesus because they were somehow afraid of there being a, um, a fight or a brawl. So they were commissioned to arrest Jesus. They were commissioned to go there and to take Jesus captive. Well, verse 48 the traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. So Judas has, you know, he has sold out Christ. He has gone to the religious leaders who now have sent the mob. Uh, and uh, they are, Judas has, you know, gotten his 30 pieces of silver. And he's come there and he says, you know what? I, I want you guys to pay attention because it's kind of dark out. And you, may, you don't want to get the wrong guy. So make sure you get the one Uh, that I kiss, and that'll be the guy that you're after. So you'll know, you will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. (laughs) So Judas, he came straight to Christ. And the the audacity, I think, uh, of Judas. Uh, Greetings, Rabbi. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) I I don't know where these guys came from, but, you know, I don't know how they got here. But, you know, greetings, Rabbi. (laughs) Like nothing is wrong. He has come there to betray Jesus. It has been um, set up by him and that he is going to deliver God to his accusers and Judas is coming on like nothing's wrong. Hi, Rabbi. (laughs) He exclaimed and he gave him a kiss. Hmm. So... This kiss was a sign of affection, a sign of brotherhood, a sign of, you know, camaraderie. And Judas used it as a way of uh, betrayal. And Jesus, he looks at this betrayal 
And he says to Judas, he says, my friend, my comrade, welcome. <laughs> Go ahead. Do what you've come to do. <laughs> he didn't tell Judas, you, you worthless bag of, of horse dung, <laughs> you, you dredge of the earth. He just says, Judas, my friend. So we think sometimes that when we say that God looks at us and he doesn't look at our faults, he looks at our needs, he, he loves us no matter what we've done, right here it is. Jesus loves Judas no matter what he has done. <laughs> so if Jesus, in his greeting of Judas, can say, my friend, go ahead and do what you've, you've come for, but you're, remember, you're my friend. Now, I mentioned this in Sunday school. Um, later on, we know we have Peter, and, you know, Peter denies Jesus, and we have the we have Peter denying, and we have Judas going and hanging himself. Okay, was Judas repentant? And the, the word that um, I, I found for Judas was Judas was remorseful. He had remorse, meaning a gnawing distress arising from a, a sense of guilt for wrongs that he had done. He had a gnawing distress for what he had done, but he didn't repent. His gnawing distress, his anxiety over what he had done did not lead him to repentance. It led him to abandonment where he would go and hang himself. Whereas Peter, in his denial of Jesus, repented of what he had done. He turned from his wrongness and dedicated himself once again to following Jesus. You see, this is the difference. You know, sometimes whenever um, they had the what, Jesus Christ Superstar years ago, the, the musical and the, the different theater depictions, almost place Judas as this misunderstood guy who was not that bad, but God used him to bring about this situation. And it really wasn't the fault of Judas, just God needed a fall guy. <laughs> it's not true. Judas knew what he was doing, and he was aware of, of, of what Christ had done. He was aware of, saw the things that he had done, and all of those things that never changed his heart. He was still the greedy person looking to get ahead at the expense of others. And that's what he did with Jesus. He was looking to get ahead, but he, he figured, you know, Jesus, perhaps, you know, perhaps uh, we'll sell him out, but he'll do one of his, uh, his magic tricks. He'll do one of his God things and get out of it. And, you know, and Judas was going to make some money on it and let Jesus get out of it. Well, the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. <laughs> so right as soon as Judas... You know, I imagine these guys are just kind of right behind Judas. And when he kisses Jesus, you know, it's like, hey, Rabbi, I mean, you know, welcome. I'll give you a kiss. And then here are these guys with clubs and swords. They're going to arrest him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Well, we know this is Peter. Now, Peter, remember, Jesus has told them that, 
you're, you're going to deny me, okay? Well, G- Peter has come to prove that Jesus is wrong. <laughs> He's going to prove Jesus wrong. He has brought a sword, and he knows he is man enough to die with Jesus. So he pulls out his sword, and he's going to fight to the death because Peter, you know, now this is just conjecture on my part, but I imagine Peter has played this out in his mind before. You ever play things out in your mind before? (laughs) You know, role play, you know, I know when this happens, this is what I'm going to do. And of course, I'm really good at, well, you know, if I'd have known this, I'd have done it this way, you know, and all the hundreds of ways that we could have done it better or or worser, you know. But uh, I said that intentionally, worser. Okay. But um, Peter probably had this played out in his head. You know, he's going to fight. He's going to go down swinging. He's going, he's going to be one of the martyrs for saving Jesus in the cause. And he's going to fight. And he lashes out. And he puts the sword to this guy's head and cuts off his ear. He has to be pretty close to killing him. <laughs> You know, and those swords would have just crushed his skull. But some say that it's not necessarily a long sword that would have, a longer sword that would have been used for uh, a soldier, but it may be a shorter knife, but not a, you know, know, but somewhere in the middle. So those who use the sword, Jesus said, put away your sword, put it away. Now, this is where the disciples and, you know, they really run into a wall here because They think Jesus is going to set up a kingdom and rule over it like King David, and they're going to sit there and be, you know, divvy up the kingdom 12 ways, (laughs) and we're going to have this power and that power. And um, Jesus, put away your sword. It's not going to happen that way. So those who use the sword will die by the sword. Jesus was not like the other kings who came to conquer people and make them Obey him. Verse 53, don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? You remember uh, the, uh, the birth of Jesus and the angels declaring, you know, the angel comes, go to Bethlehem and there you'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in the manger. And there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. You see, those multitude of angels in one of the translations for the Christmas story has that the angels are among the shepherds. I mean, it's like, boom, there they are. And they're like, whoa, these angels are all around us. And that was just a multitude. Jesus said, there are thousands of angels. All I have to do is speak the word. Call to them. It's all over. If one angel can kill 240,000 men in the Old Testament, what do you think a multitude can do? (laughs) So there was no um, lack of power (laughs) present. There was more than enough power to just blow the whole thing up and start all over again. But you see, Jesus said they're there, these angels are there to protect us. And if I, say, if I ask, instantly they will be here. Then, he's, then verse 54 says, but if I did, see, but if I did, God has a plan. 
This is where we find ourselves to recognize that if we give in to the hatred and the bitterness, it's like, and we don't, but if I did, I would miss or mess up what God is planning to do in this difficult place. So difficulties will come, but God is asking us that the word of God is alive, alive, alive and active inside of us. It is a living, the living Christ, the living word, the word made flesh and dwelt among us. We are quoting the word and it is not just a quotation that comes from our mind as we would learn two plus two is four. It is not a quotation from our head. It is an inspiration from our heart. So every time we pray, every time we recite the scripture, every time we believe and ask God to help to intervene in our prayers and so on, it is is an inspiration from our heart that God is there and this living word inspires us to pray. Not because we've learned it up here, but because we sense it from here inside of our heart. But if I did... (laughs) Jesus was saying that the will of the Father would not be complete because there is a plan that I am following. There is a script that I am following. (laughs) You know, there would be an interesting story to put together. The steps of the righteous man, the righteous are ordered by the Lord. God has ordered your steps. Wow, I mean, he, this is his path through this valley of the shadow of death, the shadow of transition, dying out to, like Peter has to die out to this, this rugged, you know, in-your-face, rough-housing man. Peter has to die out to that person. He has to die out to that person who will pull the sword and die for Jesus. And how does, how does God do that later on? I don't think we're going to get there, but later on, Peter is following Jesus. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll find this out here in just a minute. He says, um, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? If I did call the angels, how would the scriptures be fulfilled about what is about to happen? There, there's, there's a reason why I came. There's a reason why I'm here. And I can't interrupt with that reason jesus had already said to the father god if there's another way but if not but if i did you see jesus saying if i did call the angels it would interfere in the plan verse 55 then jesus said to the crowd am i some dangerous revolutionary that you come with swords clubs to arrest me Why didn't you arrest me in the temple? I was there teaching every day. It's like Jesus isn't arguing this for himself. I believe he's he's telling these these people who are there with the clubs and the swords, you know, don't be just a a puppet to these people who are giving you commands to come come and arrest me. Don't you remember all of you who are here to arrest me? Don't you remember I was in the temple teaching? I was there every day in the open. You could have arrested me then, but here you come under the cover of night, in the darkness, a secret plan. Don't you understand that the people who sent you are not good people? There's a plan. 
verse 56, but all this is, ha- but this is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophet as recorded in the scripture. God has a plan. At that point, all the disciples deserted him and fled, and Jesus is alone. <laughs> They've all gone. He's alone. Sometimes whenever we feel abandoned, we feel all alone. But let us remember, as Jesus did, he only has to speak the word and the angels will come. He only has to speak the word and everything changes. But God has a plan. Could it be at the times that we feel the most alone that that's the place that God wants us to look to him? For you see, we are not remorseful. We are repentant. We're not driven away in in, in anguish. We are drawn to Christ for forgiveness. And whatever whatever the situation, whatever the situation that leaves us alone, we must never allow the aloneness to settle into our spirit where we feel abandoned by God because God cannot abandon us. He will never abandon us. He looks just as he looked at Judas and said, friend, he looks at every person, every soul, everyone who's ever lived and calls them friend. I loved you so much I died for you. So there is no one we can write off and say they are beyond being saved. Then the people who had arrested Jesus led him to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the the teachers of the religious law and elders had gathered. You see, it was a prearranged thing. It's the middle of the night, and these guys are sitting in this place of council. For what? They had a plan to arrest him to get things in place under the cover of darkness, that it could all be set up by the time everybody else finds out about it. We can have him prepared to die (laughs) meanwhile verse 53 no 58 peter followed him at a distance and came to the high priest's courtyard he went and sat with the guards and waited to see how it all end so peter still wants to peter is still brave peter is brave i mean he's not he's not uh, a coward you know he had it set up how he was going to die but jesus stopped him Now he still wants to be brave. He still wants to be this man of steel, (laughs) wear the the cape and the red S, you know. He wants to be there to protect and intervene for Jesus, waiting for his chance. Well, inside the leading priest and the entire council were trying to find witnesses. They were trying to find somebody who could say something that was worthy of death of Jesus. Finally, two men came forward, verse 61, who declared, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, well, aren't you going to answer these charges? Why do you have to say, what do you have to say? They found something. Okay, they're just throwing things out there, throwing things out there, throwing things out there. Finally, there's one thing thrown out. Two men agree. Aha, where two or three agree. It's true. (laughs) So that was the law. And so the high priest jumped on that. And then, verse 63, but Jesus remained silent. (laughs) You see, you're not taking my life, I'm giving it. 
And then this high priest says, I demand in the name of the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. If that prayer were made today, I demand in Jesus' name. (laughs) You see, he was demanding an answer in the name of God who was standing there before him. He was demanding that God, the, the Son of God, who is God, he recog- he, he, without recognizing it, he was declaring that he was God. And Jesus answered, you said it. <laughs> you just said it. Of course, you know, he didn't like what he just said. <laughs> and uh, they're coming, you know, and they're, they're going to put Jesus to death and he uses this to jump all over him and what well, blasphemy and tears his robe and we have guilty, they shouted. You deserve to die. And then I want to go to verse 69. Meanwhile, <laughs> Peter was sitting in the courtyard. What do we have here? We have a servant girl. Now, remember Peter? Tough, bully, not a bully, um, roughhousing man who's probably king of the dock, <laughs> you know, and he's going to die for Jesus, pulls out his sword, cuts off the guy's ear. Yes, I'm going to die. And so he's there outside following Jesus and a servant girl says, hey, you're, you're with them. Peter's, no, 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 that's not true. He denied him. A little later, verse 71, another servant girl noticed that that, uh, they said, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Peter, what does he say? No, it's not, wasn't with him. He did it with an oath. I don't even know this man. So here is this man with the sword ready to die. Who, Who puts him to the test? Two servant girls. The little things that we can't, we think we're above are the very things that caused Peter to come to a realization. <laughs> he, he, he uh, well, the next one is in a little later, other bystanders came over and said to Peter, you must be the one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. He knew he was from Southern Wimber. <laughs> and Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I'm not the man. <laughs> And the rooster crows. Then Jesus' words flash through Peter's mind, and Peter runs off in dismay. God has a plan. And you see, when God has a plan, we have to be willing to not be like Judas and what's the word? Pardon? Remorse? We have to be more than Judas and be remor- being remorseful. We want to be repentant. And repentance is not that I'm so wrong. It's that God is so right. And that his holiness and his, his um, work that he does in our life has to be greater than what we look at and what we feel. It's more than just a, a thought It's more than just a problem that we encounter. It is knowing that God is with us. So Judas betrayed and Peter denied. These are not the most important parts of this story. 
The most important part of this story is God has a plan. (laughs) God has a plan. The story of Jesus, his divine purpose that lie before him, is that all humanity is about to crush, the sin of all humanity is about to crush him on the cross. But God has a plan. His journey to the cross, his journey to the tomb, the journey to the resurrection cannot be sidetracked no matter who comes and arrests him and no matter who denies him and no matter who accuses him. And so I I look at that for ourselves. God has a plan. His plan has a purpose. And the purpose that he has, we may not know till eternity. So God has a plan. And no matter who or what may seem to betray or sidetrack or sin or whatever, God is kind of like these two servant girls confronting Peter. You know, Peter in his natural abilities would have knocked these kids to the ground. But in this setting, he was finding out that he had to die to what he thought was the way of serving God. Because he would later know it is not by might nor by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. You see, the spirit of God is what makes the difference, not the might or the power. And Peter's denial and Peter's weeping here is letting him know and and confirming for him later on, it's not by might nor by power. It's not by my brawn and by my sword. It's by the Spirit of God. And see, this is how we know God has a plan because the Spirit of God is in our heart confirming to us God has a plan. And all the things that seemingly weren't wrong, God has a plan. And all the people who betrayed and did this and did that, God has a plan. And God's plan, hmm, God's plan, Where's, verse, where's my first page? <laughs> for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are for... What? They are plans for good and not for disaster. To give you a future and hope. <laughs> Amen? God has a plan. Let us stand. <laughs> God has a plan. Amen. God has a plan. You know, when you see the Judas, <laughs> hey, love you, brother, <laughs> sister, and they stick you in the back. God has a plan. Whenever people run off and hide, and abandon your own life, God has a plan. Don't worry about it. God has a plan. And that comes alive inside of our heart. And we see this with Jesus. And our life is nowhere in comparison to what this is. But this is divine. But you know what? So are the plans that God has for you. The steps of the righteous man, the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. God has a plan. Amen? So let's all say it. God has a plan. And the answer is for me. God has a plan for me. Amen. Thank you, God. Amen.